0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. We're
1: going to ask this question, what is, the new, what is so new about the new covenant? Growing up, I grew up in a typical Baptist church. Uh, nothing wrong with that necessarily, but just grew up in a typical Baptist church. And my understanding of covenant was the name of the church that was down the road. Uh, you know, covenant church or covenant, you know, school. You know, we've heard of those different terms. Um, I had no clue as a Christian growing up in a good church uh, what, the new co- what, what the covenant was regarding scriptures. What the new covenant was, what the old covenant was. In fact, I went to Liberty University, love my alma mater, but have an undergraduate in religion and two masters, all in religion. And I never had a course where they talked about the differences between the new covenant and the old covenant. Don't you find that kind of awkward? I do, especially now, because the new covenant, whether we realize it or not, whether we've even heard that term before or not, is everything. And when I say it's everything, I, I can't express just how everything, everything of the new covenant really is. And so we're just going to try to ask this question. Okay, so what's so new about the new covenant? What's so different? And so these three things for 10 minutes each that we're going to look at are basically three questions that help answer this one question. We'll see if it all makes sense at the end this verse isn't up on the screen, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says that the only covenant that we, believers, are qualified to minister is the new covenant. Okay, so the only thing God has equipped us and called us and qualified us to actually dish out, to serve, you know, like if you go to lunch this afternoon, you have somebody who comes and serves you their dish. You're handing you some you know, water, your, your, your meal, whatever. And then, of course, the check at the end, the part that we don't really like. Um, but the, he's dishing out or she's dishing out. She's serving you your food. Well, Paul is saying that the only thing that we are qualified to serve, to, to dish out, is the new covenant. So if you read that, like I read that, I'm thinking, hmm, I need to know what the new covenant is. Right? Doesn't that make sense? If that's the only thing we're actually qualified to minister, we need to know what it is and and how different it is from the old covenant and what it means to be in this new covenant and what the terms of the new covenant are all about. The word covenant just simply means, in fact, any Spanish speakers out there, I don't know, uh, the, the word in Spanish is actually pacto, which we get our word, you know, pact. It's an agreement. It's a pact. Like two people make a pact together. It just is an agreement. And in the Old Covenant, which we won't get into in too much detail, the Old Covenant was a pact, uh, namely the Mosaic Law, between God and the Israelites, the people, in the Mosaic Law. And we'll get into this a little bit more in a second. But in the New Covenant, it is a pact, but it's no longer between God and people. In the New Covenant, it's a pact, Hebrews says, between God and God. So we, people, aren't even a part of the equation anymore. And we'll get into that in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're only qualified to minister the new covenant. Man, that to me, it just shoots up all sorts of desires to learn. What the heck is this new covenant? And why in the world have I, Walt Davis, at at the time when I first started understanding this at age 31, I'm 35 now. Why in the world in the first 31 years of my religious life have I never heard of this? Never understood this. Never been taught this. I've got all these plaques hanging up on the wall that have these you know, signatures of presidents of universities and seminaries. And I've never heard this. What is going on here? And so we're going to ask our first question of three to help answer this bigger question of what's so new about the new covenant. And the first question we're going to ask, and actually the question is not on the screen, but the scripture is on the screen, is when did this new covenant begin? When did the new covenant begin? If you're like me, most of us would answer without actually looking at the scriptures we would probably answer well if you have your bible if you have you know especially a printed bible remember those things you know if you have a printed bible if you go to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 and you turn to the left a page or two what do you have a big piece of paper that says what does it say there the new testament this is very important the word testament the word covenant and the word will you know like a will when somebody is about to die that sort of will those are all the same Greek word that we are using, this word covenant. So where you see testament, where you see will, which we're going to see it in Hebrews in a little bit, and the word testament, testament, covenant, and will, it's the same word. And so when you see the word New uh, Testament, or a.k.a. New Covenant, you see that right there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So most of us, because the publisher put a piece of paper in there, most of us think that the New Testament, the New Covenant, began at Jesus' birth, don't we? By na- by naturally. But that's not true. In fact, and I'll show you, what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, he's having his last supper with his disciples, and they've had their, their big Seder dinner, and everybody's full and excited about celebrating Passover. And he tells them, he this bread, he gets the wine, and we're familiar with this if you've been to church before. If you haven't, just stay with us. And he passes around the bread. He passes around this cup. And when he has the cup, he says, Take it, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant. Now, your translation might not have the word new. If you look at this little sub, what's it called, underneath there, where they have little notes, there might be a little letter. Some of the earliest manuscripts don't have the word new. Some do. But he's talking about the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant. Up here on the screen, it doesn't say covenant. This translation must be a different translation, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So what Jesus is saying is literally less than 24 hours from when he says this, he's gonna hang on a cross. He's having dinner with with his people. He's arrested that night. The next day he's crucified, just for some context. And he's saying that this blood, the blood in his body is going to be poured out, and the pouring out of that blood is the ushering in, the inauguration of the new covenant. Okay, it's very important that we understand that the death of Jesus is the beginning of the covenant, not the birth of Jesus. Well, if we are confused still, you can just go to Hebrews chapter 9, where in fact it says it very, very, very plainly Verse 17, it says, for a will, remember, will, testament, and covenant. Those are all the same Greek word that we would use uh, for just covenant, all right? Testament was the same word. He says, for a will, or think of covenant, think of testament, uh, takes effect only at death. All right, we understand this. You don't have to be a Christian to understand this verse. If you have a living will or a will for when you die, that will guess what it's not in effect until you what you die, so if you leave your kids, you know the fortune you know and you know all the debt, whatever you have to leave to your kids and and you are still living, guess what they don 't yet have they don't they don't have your inheritance, they don 't have your stuff because you are still alive. We all understand that we know that we have been illuminated to that fact, and so what The writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, he's picking up on this and he says that this covenant, this will, as we've translated in this passage in English, only goes into effect when someone dies. So therefore, the one who's made the covenant, who's made the will, they must die in order for the covenant to go into effect. So let's understand the question. When did the new covenant start? It did not start with the birth of Jesus. It actually started with the death of Jesus. And you say, well, what's so important about that? Why is that such a big deal? Well, we won't obviously in today's 30 minutes have time to get into that. But it's a huge deal because Jesus, according to Galatians 4, or 3, Galatians, I'll just say that. You're studying Galatians, you can tell me. He was born of a woman born what? Under the law, a.k.a. the old covenant so he was born under the old covenant so that he might redeem those who were born under its curse so jesus's birth didn't bring in the new covenant the publishers have it wrong i was reading a story when that was explained one day and this guy goes to matthew 1 1 turns to the left a page and he just rips it out The the it says the new cup co- the new testament he's like well i guess i don't need that anymore and he just rips it out of his book and i'm not advocating that necessarily but i'm just saying that's not that's where the publisher says the covenant begins what the scripture says the covenant begins is at the death of Jesus. So, why that's so important, again, we won't get into today, is because so much of what Jesus preaches in the gospels, he is preaching to people who are under the covenant, the old covenant. He is burying them in their thinking that their works would make them right before God. And if we're not careful, we can go there now in this new covenant and think that in order to really be right with God, we've got to sell all our possessions. We've got to cut limbs off. We've got to pluck out eyes. We've got to, we've got to, we've got all the things that Jesus said, remember, in the New Testament, the Gospels. But he was talking to people who were under the law. So does that mean that there's nothing that Jesus says that's appropriate, uh, appropriate for us? Absolutely not. It's all appropriate for us. But we have to see the covenants. There is massive covenant confusion in today's church. Again, 31 years of age, two masters, and an undergraduate, all in religion. And I had no clue, no clue at all what the new covenant was all about. So when did it begin? It began at the death of Jesus, not at the birth of Jesus. Is that about 10 minutes? We'll go on to the next thing. The next, yeah, right at 10 minutes. Perfect. All right, we're on track. Second question, So when so, what's so new about the new covenant? It's really important to understand that the new covenant began at his death, not at his birth. Second question, it's been about 10 minutes on. What are the promises of the new covenant? Every covenant has promises or conditions. Maybe you want to think of it that way. What are the conditions of this new covenant? The old covenant, we can read about some of those conditions in Deuteronomy 31. Leviticus has a lot of the conditions, and here's basically the summary of the conditions or the promises of the old covenant. You do good and you will be what? Exactly. You do badly, I think it's the right adverbial form, and you will be cursed. That's the promise, that's the condition. Obviously, there's much more than just that. We're just summarizing all that into one little thought. You do good. Am I doing something wrong on that? Okay, got gotcha. you. All right. You do bad. You are cursed. You do good. You are blessed. Those are the terms, in essence, of the old covenant. Maybe I just stand still. Is that better? I don't know. Of the old covenant, <clears throat> we know this by all of the. Um, exiles that we read about in the Old Covenant. The exiles in the Old Covenant are these things where the nation of Israel did badly, and guess what? They were cursed. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, you guys, if you've read the Old Testament some, these guys came in and they totally walloped the Israelites. They were brought in as judgment for their bad behavior, their sinning, Because they broke the terms of the covenant. And God said, if you do bad, I will curse you. And he was keeping his promises. Those are the terms of the old covenant. But what about the new covenant? I'm glad you asked. Because there's a passage in Jeremiah 31 that then the writer of Hebrews quotes in Hebrews chapter 8. That gives us... In essence, the terms, the promises of the new covenant. In fact, all of Hebrews is written to differentiate the old covenant and the new covenant. In fact, starting in in chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews says, you know what? There's a brand new priest. The old priesthood is gone. There's a brand new priest. And because the priesthood has changed, guess what? The law has changed. And so there is no more law in the sense that we've always thought, you know, trying to live up to some sort of standard in order to be right with God. All that's been taken away because the priesthood issue. If the law hasn't changed, then Jesus is an illegitimate high priest. And I'm that's too much for me. I'm just going to go with what Scripture says. It says that Jesus is the high priest, therefore the law has been set aside. Talking about the Mosaic law. And so therefore... With this better priest, there's now better promises. And these better promises are basically a promise from God to God that he swore to his own name. Because remember, God can't swear by anything greater than his own name. You know, we swear by God's name, but what does God swear by? Well, he swears by his own name too because there's nothing greater for him to swear by. And so he swears by his own name that Jesus will be our high priest forever. So there's a better priest, there's better promises about this better covenant. So look here, starting, picking up in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 7, about these better promises. There's four of them. And we're going to pick up in verse 7. He says, for if that first covenant, now we're talking about the Mosaic law, if the old covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a new covenant, a second covenant. For finding fault with them, that is the people, the people couldn't, they kept failing, they couldn't live up to it. For finding fault with them, this is verse 8, he says... God says, and now this is the quote of Jeremiah 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. So this is Jeremiah 31. This is the worst of the worst times in Israel's history. They are literally, you can read Jeremiah 31 on your own. They are literally being bombarded by a foreign army where people are being brutalized and being carried away. It's the worst of the worst days of the nation of Israel. And this is what, in the middle of that, this promise of a new covenant comes. He says, Behold, the days are coming. They're not not yet, then, but they are going to come, and we now know that they came at the death of Jesus when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, what is this covenant like? Verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when they took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So if you want to write something down or remember something, here's something to remember. The new covenant is nothing like the old covenant. Because that's exactly what he says. Not like the covenant I made with them and their forefathers when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. What covenant was that? Sinai. What ten things were given to Moses on the Mount Sinai written in stones? The ten what? Commandments. The new covenant is nothing like that. Those are stones written written on stone's exterior, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but he's got something totally different, totally different in mind. He says, for they did not continue that covenant. and I, so I showed no concern for the Lord. Remember the terms, do good, be blessed, do bad, be blessed. they kept breaking it, and so I kept rejecting them. I kept rejecting them, so I'm going to make a new covenant. Has God changed? The answer is no. But the covenant. Changed. The answer is yes. And thank God it has. So the old covenant was based on their behavior. The new covenant is based on something totally different. Actually, it's based on the behavior of one Christ Jesus. And so the new covenant, whatever you know of the old covenant, the, the just, the, 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 the rage of God against sin, the, the his, his rage uh, 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 in retribution because of bad behavior, all of that that we know of the old covenant, what, Jer- what he's promised in Jeremiah and what The writer of Hebrews is picking up on now here in Hebrews is that the new covenant is nothing like that. So, what is it like? Well, let's keep reading because I want to know. Because remember, we're only made ministers of the new covenant, we're only authorized to dish out the new covenant. And I'll just tell you straight up for the first 31 years of my life, I was dishing out law, I was dishing out, you better live up to this command, live up to this, you better do these 10 commandments. Well, not the Sabbath because, you know, I want to do some yard work on Saturday and I want to send some emails on Friday night. So, you know, these nine commandments, you know, we'll, we'll pick and choose the ones we want. But what he's saying is it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. So the first one is nothing. The first point is that it's nothing like the old covenant. Verse 11 or, or no, verse 10. Sorry. For this is the covenant. So, so it's nothing like the one that I have. Here's what it's like. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, when we read the word laws here, we ought not think of the 613 laws of Moses, because he just said that the new covenant is what? Nothing like that. So this isn't, okay, let's get these laws written on stone, and let's just start etching them into their heart and into their mind so that they could be my people. He's talking about something totally different than that. Ezekiel picks up on this in Ezekiel 36. When Ezekiel says at the same time of Jeremiah that a day's going to come, and now we know it did come with Jesus, that we'll have a whole new heart. not not this beating thing in our chest, but a spirit, a whole new, brand new So the first real difference or real promise of the new covenant is that it's nothing like the old. So whatever we know of the old, the new is nothing like it. And the second one that we see here in this verse is that this new covenant, it's an internal reality with a new heart. And I promise you we're not going to unpack all that this morning because it's impossible. That's what we unpack for the rest of our lives, of what we actually have with him. But again, Ezekiel says that the old stony heart that was dead because of Adam's sin is actually cut out. Colossians 2 talks about the circumcision of Christ. Now, we're not talking about little boys in the hospital. We're talking about actual cutting away of the old human spirit that is dead because of Adam and his sin. It's actually cut out incision in a circle, circumcision. It's cut out. The old man, the old spirit is crucified with Christ and buried so that a brand new human spirit, a brand new human heart, not the physical but spiritual, is actually born from God himself, born from above. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, except a man be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's talking about. This is this new covenant, this new thing that's showing up to where you actually have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It's an inward spiritual reality. It's not about stones and laws written by uh, the angels to Moses. This is something totally different. It's actually, as Richard says often, the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart. So the new covenant is all about having a brand new heart, a brand new human Spirit. I used to always say, you know, I really understand the gospel, but I've got to get what I know down into my heart. You ever heard that or or thought that before? Well, the truth is the exact opposite. The truth is that in the new covenant, if you believe in Jesus, you've been given a new heart as righteous and holy as God himself is. The truth is that now we are growing in a revelation of just how new we've been made. So what's really new here, if you will, pointing to my chest, actually needs to... Up here into our minds. And Paul picks up on this when he talks about over and over the renewal of the mind. You see that? So, the second promise, real quickly, is that the, this inter, it's this internal spiritual reality with brand new human spirit. Now, move on to verse 11. There's a third, and we've got to hustle. This is so crazy to me. We won't spend much time on this, but this is the third promise of this new covenant. He says they will not teach. Okay, so God in Jeremiah 31 and then the writer of Hebrews picking up on Jeremiah 31, writing it in the New Covenant. He's actually advocating us to not teach something. Now let's see what he says to not teach. They shall not teach one his neighbor and one his brother saying, know the Lord. They will not teach, know the Lord, know the Lord. Doesn't that sound a little bit strange to you? We're supposed to not teach you need to know the Lord? I I, I don't know. I read that. I'm like, you know, that little Sony RCA dog, whatever it is, you know, the head crooked to the side. Like, what is that? We're supposed to not teach people to know the Lord? Well, listen. He says, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest is he saying is he saying that we shouldn't put children in a circle and teach them about Jesus no 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 that's not what he's saying we know that's not what he's saying what he's saying is that regardless of who you are whether you're the pastor or the usher whether you're you know you've been a believer for 30 years or you just became began trusting in Jesus today they will all know me in the most deep and intimate and personal ways And so it's not a matter of growing, hey, this person knows so much more. He has much more intimacy with the Lord than this person who just came to trust Jesus yesterday. That's the old covenant. Remember, in the old covenant, one man, one time a year, could enter into the one Holy of Holies. And legend has it that they actually tied a rope around his leg so that if he passed out dead in the middle of the Holy of Holies, they would be able to drag him out. That's the old covenant. Intimacy between people and God. And the old covenant was one man, one time a year, and hopefully all his sin fessed up. The new covenant is nothing like that. The new covenant, the very presence of God in this new heart, has actually, actually come to live in you. It's no more. You need to know the Lord as much as I know because I really have him. And I really have them. Oh, you don't really have them. I really, there's no hierarchy anymore in the new covenant. Now, are our minds at different stages, if you will, of understanding just what we have? Sure. That's a growing mental awareness of what actually has happened. But no one Christian has more of the Lord than the next. The fullness of the presence of God actually dwells in us, in this new heart. Number four fourth promise. Now think about the Israelites. They are literally, when this is being written in Jeremiah 31, as I said earlier, they're literally being carried away into bondage because of their sin. And the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah saying a day is going to come where the the new covenant is not going to be anything like the old, where they'll have new hearts and I'll actually write my laws. Don't think of Moses, think of something different in them. And I will, they'll all know me in the exact same way, from the least to the greatest. There's no more hierarchy. If you read that, if you're hearing Jeremiah speak that, you're thinking, how in the world could this be? How is, I mean, we're literally being bombarded by a foreign army right now. How could this be? And he explains it. This is the last verse in this little section, verse 12. For, or, and this is how this is going to happen. I will Be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. The God of the universe has declared in his word that because of the inauguration of the new covenant, which started at the death of Jesus... God in heaven is now saying, I can be yours, you can be mine, I will be with you fully in full perfect intimacy, I will give you a new heart, and I will be with my desires now in you perfectly forever because of what Jesus has done. He has now removed all of our sin debt to the point, don't take my word for it, take the scriptures. He remembers our sin no more. Let that just kind of get into our little mixture of what we think Christianity is really all about and let it mess some things up. Most of us, let's be honest, think that Christianity is about being reminded by God how much we mess up and uh, 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 fail him. So that we need to, every day, list off a bunch of lists of sins that we have done that day so that we could get back right with him. That, my friends, is the old covenant that you and I do not have an authority to minister. We have been made ministers of the new covenant. And the biggest, most amazing to me promise of this new covenant is that he remembers our sins no more. No more. Now, we don't have time to unpack that, unfortunately. But this is really, really good news. It, 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 require, it forces a bunch of questions. Okay, so if God has forgiven all of my sins, even my past, present, and my future ones, he's forgiven them all, he remembers them no more, then what keeps me from just going out and sinning all I want? That's a great question, which we don't have time to answer today. But the truth is found in Romans 6. Don't you know? that you have actually died to sin. See, we don't even know that we've died to sin. This is the new covenant. There's been a death, a burial, and a resurrection of Jesus, but also of us. We've been crucified with him. We've been buried with him, and we've been raised with him. So our third question, so we're asking this question, how new is this new covenant? Well, first we saw that started at his death, not his birth, and we just saw the, you know, what these promises are, that it's nothing like the old covenant. There's an inward spiritual reality with human heart, human spirit, that it, that, that, that there's no more hierarchy, that we all know him from the least to the greatest, and that it's all possible because he has forgiven our sins totally, past, present, future. None of your sinning will ever surprise God. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago, he already saw them all, and he put them all on Jesus, and he crushed his son, therefore crushing your sins. So today, when you're surprised, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. God's not surprised. He's already dealt with it, and he remembers it no more. Last question, and we're going to wrap up with this one. So just how different okay we 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 heard it's different it's nothing like the old well just how different is this old covenant and the new covenant just how different and we're going to stay in hebrews and I'm going to move over a little bit towards the screen here we're going to stay in hebrews we're going to go over to hebrews chapter i think what is it 11 to 13, um 12 and we're going to start in verse 18 yeah let me take a sip of water here. and in hebrews uh, 12 Starting here in verse 18, um, is there in verse 18 or no? Okay, well, you'll just have to believe me if you have your copy of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 18, uh, though it's not on the screen. What the writer of Hebrews is, is bringing these people to the point of understanding is that there is a huge, huge difference between what you have been brought up under called the Old Covenant and the truth of what the New Covenant is. And he makes some of the most remarkable contrasts between these two covenants. Remember, you think that there's covenant confusion today amongst guys like me who have all this religious, you know, education? Just imagine how much covenant confusion there was of first century Jews who their whole life have been going to the temple to get forgiveness. I mean, think of the blood that's filling up all the gutters around the temple in order to get forgiveness of sins. Just imagine. And so he's trying to create some covenant clarity when there's covenant confusion. And I think we need the same too. Starting in verse 18, he says, you, you who are believing in Jesus, you have not come to that which can be touched. Now I'm gonna go ahead and give you some context of where he's going. He's talking about Mount Sinai. Now I know how many of us, you know, have really, you know, stayed up late, you know, trying to, you know, read all of the Old Testament and what's this Sinai thing. In short, when the Israelites came out of Egypt... Uh, out of their slavery, the Lord led them to Mount Sinai. And it's at Mount Sinai where he started giving him what we call the Mosaic law. And there were some very amazing physical descriptions that we're going to see here of what that mountain was like and the, the, the experience of that encounter with God and the Israelite people. He's saying, you have not come to that which can be touched. That is, a.k.a. Mount Sinai. And he describes it. He says, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. A.k.a. you don't want to get close. So imagine with me in our mind's eye. You know, we can look out the window here and see. Well, not today, but on a normal day, uh, on a clear day, mount the mountains here behind us. Imagine there's fire All around it, there's there's gloom, there's darkness, there's this whirlwind of a storm. Is that an inviting sort of imagery we are like, hey, let's go picnic on the top of the mountain today? Of course not. It is declaring very real and physical, stay away. Stay away. For you have not come to this mountain that which can be touched, a.k.a. Sinai, a blazing fire, a darkness and gloom and tempest, and it's not that's not all picking up in verse 19 and the sound of a trumpet so there was this if you go back into to reading about this in the old covenant and the old testament there's this tump, trumpet blasting you ever been in a the music is so loud you're like i got to get out of here because my ears are busting well that's the idea it's so loud that i can't even stay it's just driving people further and further away from the mountain there's this trumpet blasting and a voice. So on top of all that, this gloom, this darkness, this despair, fire, and words that made the hearers beg that no further messages, messages be spoken to them. This is God giving the law to Moses, giving words that they're just like, okay, I can't do it any. I, we can't live up to this. This is too much. He's saying, we we need you to stop giving these laws. Look at the next verse, verse 12. For they could not endure the order that was given. And here's an example of an order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, that beast is to be stoned to death. All right, you're out at the base of the mountain walking, you know, your pooch gets off the leash and it runs over to the mountain. The law is requiring that that pooch, that animal, little, you know, Fido be stoned to death. And these people are like, this is too much this is impossible for us to live up to and so it's driving them if that happens if even one of our animals gets off the leash and goes over to the mountain we need to get further and further and further what away from the mountain indeed verse 21 i love this it was so terrifying was the sight that moses now we're talking about moses right Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is Sinai. This is the first covenant. This is the old covenant. This is what we have not been called to. This picture of distance. This picture of unable to live up to, unable to be with. This picture of... We have so much dirt and disease and sickness and whatever in our own lives, physically and spiritually, that we can never in a million years dream of getting close to where God's presence is on the top of that mountain. This is what we have not come to. So what have we come to? Great question. Verse 22, but you, you who believe in Jesus, you who are born again, you who are trusting Jesus, you have come to Mount Zion, another mountain, a mountain that's totally different. This is the new covenant. Mount Sinai, a picture of the old covenant. Mount Zion, a picture of the new covenant. You have come to Mount Zion, and look how this is described. This is the city of the living God. You have come to a place where God Himself now lives and dwells and moves. To the heavenly Jerusalem. We're not talking about something in this world. Remember, the first mountain can be touched. It's physical of this broken world. But there's another covenant. There's another mountain in this other covenant that's not of this world. It's heaven, heavenly Jerusalem. And to the innumerable angels in festal gatherings. That just sounds really exciting. I want to be where there's festal gatherings. Remember the old covenant and the old mountain. It was you, you. Fido gets off the leash, and you better pick up some stones. Well, in this covenant and this mountain, where we have come to, it's festal gatherings by the angels celebrating. This is this is actually the word that we get the party in English from. Pretty cool. It's a party. If I could be with all with all respect. Next verse. And to the assembly of the firstborn, that is all those who are part of the firstborn, Jesus himself, who are enrolled in heaven. We have come with to every single tribe, every single tongue, everyone who would ever trust in Jesus. We've been joined together with him, who enrolled in heaven, and we have come to who? To God himself. Remember the first mountain, man. you wouldn't get within eyeshot barely of that one in that old covenant, but in this new covenant, we are with him. We have come to him, He is the judge of all, and I I used to read that, and I was so scared. I was so scared because, look, he's the judge of all. That means he's the judge of me, and so I'm going to be judged, and I'm going to be toast. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying he is the judge of all, and he has judged all, and guess what? You have come to him, him who has judged all of your sin on his son Jesus. You have come to him. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Those are the believers, our new heart that's been made perfect, moving forward for time's sake. Verse 24, our last verse, and as if that's not enough, and you have come in this new covenant to the new Jerusalem, to the new reality, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You have to understand that Angels mediated the old covenant, but a whole different and better mediator mediates the new covenant, and this mediator is Jesus. Earlier in Hebrews, it says that Jesus isn't just the mediator of this new covenant, but he's actually the guarantor of the new covenant. You see a mediator is cool. A mediator brings two opposing parties together and certainly Jesus has done that, God in his holiness, a man in his sinfulness. So Jesus has certainly brought us together, mediated some reconciliation. But here's what's so awesome about this new covenant. Jesus and his perfect obedience and his perfect righteousness actually is the guarantor of the covenant. So the covenant is no longer about your behavior and my behavior. And thank God it isn't. It's all about his behavior. And I believe that when we see that, as we sang earlier, when we see him for who, how beautiful he is, and we see us for now because of what he's done, how beautiful we now are in him in this new heart, then guess what flows out of us? Beautiful things. When we see really what he's done for us and done in us, we don't want to go out and rob the liquor store. We we want to have Christ who died for us, who's now living in us, to actually live through us. And so we've come to this mediator, also the guarantor of this covenant, Jesus. And we've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel, what's what's he got to do with all this? We remember back to Genesis 4 where Cain kills Abel and the blood of Abel spills out. The idea there is that the blood of Abel is crying out Vengeance. It's crying out, Cain is guilty. It's crying out, someone must pay for this. That's the blood of Abel. Well, the blood that we've come to is a better blood. The blood of Jesus doesn't cry out guilty. The blood of Jesus cries out not guilty. The blood of Abel cries out, somebody's got to pay for this. The blood of Jesus, which is a better blood, cries out paid in full. Do you see that? Do you see the stark difference? If Fido gets off the over here, man, he's toast. In the new covenant, there's intimacy, there's oneness, there's actual union between the God of the universe and every single man, woman, boy, and girl who would ever trust in what Jesus has done. So, how new is the new covenant? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we, we can't, with our finite minds, even begin to understand how new it is, how much better it is. But this is the joy of what we would call the Christian life, to see who he is and to now see who we are in him and actually live in this world with the reality of what has already happened in that world. Adam's going to come on up and close us out with a song, I do believe, But as we wrap it up this morning, my encouragement to us all is to really wrestle with this question of how new is the new covenant? Do I really even know what I'm in if I trust in Jesus? Because I'll just be honest with you. There is a mass covenant confusion in the body of Christ. Massive. We have pastors who love the Lord, uh, but who will scream at the top of their lungs that you Christians need to bring your sins before the mercy seat today so that you don't face them at the Bema seat later, the judgment seat later. And and that was me for years for that matter. But that's not the truth. We, We have brothers and sisters living that that are believers in Jesus who are living in constant guilt and fear because they think that the face of God no longer shines on them because of something they've done. Listen, you are now well-educated. Not that you weren't before. Is that new covenant thinking or is that old covenant thinking? That's old covenant thinking. So I'm just saying, how about we see what actually we've come to? Let, let's throw away all the other stuff. Paul, the writer of Hebrews even says, let's just lay it aside. Paul says in Galatians, have you got to Galatians 4 yet? In Galatians? In Galatians 4, Paul says, throw it away. The law and the works of the flesh, throw it away. That's Paul, direct quote. I just say, let's do that. Let's throw that thinking away that my rightness with God is based upon my behavior. Let's throw it away and let's actually embrace the gospel. Let's actually embrace the finished work of Christ that says he has died once and for all. And God requires blood, not apologies, to actually forgive us of our sins. He requires blood. How many times did Jesus believe? Once. So if you trust in Jesus, how forgiven are you of all your sins? saying let's believe it and let's live in it and let's boldly with great joy declare this mystery of this thing called the gospel and the covenant with which we've entered
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia We'd love to hear from you If God is doing something special in your life let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.